Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember this story. story, story, story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> It's episode 22. <laughs> welcome, That's my new welcome, favourite welcome entry. to the Pog Clarks, everybody. We are here, we are bright, we are sparky. It's a new month, it's a new year. It's not a new year, it's a new episode. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Um, Mr. Shtee, do you have a story for us this month? I hope so, otherwise we don't have a podcast. Well, I did yesterday evening. I had a perfect story, but where are my notes? Vaporised. So this is Pod Clarks 22 extempore version i hope you like it extempore version what does that mean Whoa. well do you know i've not ever been quite sure but i think it means without practice <laughs> and without notes but anyway it's it's definitely extempore so 22 this takes us from uh those listeners who have been following us loyally remember i've been in thailand for six months standing in for somebody uh, who had the disrespect to resigned before they ever came out so I thought I was going for six weeks I ended up being there for six months Mutz came and went for a visit and has come out for the last part of my time there and as we finished at episode 21 I think I was just leaving Bangkok airport and overcome with emotion at the memory of that team gesture of coming up to thank us for the time we'd spent there mm-hmm. so and we left the airport and took off and we were on Pakistan International Air- Airlines, PIA, because that was a very economic route of getting back to London. And of course, it stops in Pakistan. And loyal listeners will remember that I'd come out on PIA and had stopped in Pakistan on the way out and had a very dramatic uh, sort of trip to see some friends, which I think featured in episode 19 or 20 or something. Worth a listen if you haven't heard that one. And we did the same thing on the way home. We thought we'd have a free stopover take a flight to, to Pakistan, stay there for a little bit, do something interesting, and then head back to London to pick up normal life. And we had two objectives in Pakistan when we landed. And the first was to go and visit Mutz's brother, Simon, who happened to be teaching in the northwest frontier province uh, up in a town called Peshawar. So it was extremely convenient he was there because we could go and stay with him mm. and see with him. And he was there for a, as a volunteer, I think, for two years, um, teaching at a place called, as we would pronounce it, Edwards College. Uh, but as was pronounced locally, very interestingly, Edwards College. So we took a while to get used to the different um, ways mm. of saying it. But we took a plane and flew up to Peshawar. Now, interestingly, Peshawar has been in the national news, international news, I should say, uh, in the last few days for a, for a very tragic bombing, which you might have heard about with a huge loss of life. Um, and funnily enough, when I heard that on the news, this is now uh, February 2023, it struck me that that place has been insecure for the past 40 years because we were flying into Peshawar in um, 1987 and it was not a secure place then um, for all sorts of reasons, but largely because it's on the border with Afghanistan which, of course, has been you know, a feature in our news bulletins uh, 
for the last decade or two, really. Um, anyway, we uh, landed in Peshawar and uh, Simon met us and we had all sorts of adventures up there, actually. One of them was going to a carpet shop. And, I mean, you might have a picture in your mind of, of what a carpet sh- shop looks like. Is it full of carpets? It is. And that is... I knew it. <laughs> Ten points. I, I would hazard a guess that's true of carpet shops around the world. Um, It'd be quite a bad carpet shop if it wasn't. <laughs> but, but if I think of Royal Leamington Spa, a carpet shop had huge rolls of carpets, sort of four or five metres wide on big rolls and lots of swatches and books and fluorescent lighting and um, carpets on the floor, of course, um, doors in, doors out, all that sort of stuff. Well, in Peshawar, it was, it was like um, somebody's front room, really, with just piles and piles of rugs piled on top of each other. Mm. And it was wonderful because you, you go in and you, you sort of sit cross-legged if you're able to on the carpets. And um, they ask you what sort of carpet you want. And they bring out this one and you say, oh, that's a bit dark, I think, for my taste. So they bring out another one that's, that's light. And you say, oh, that's quite nice. And then you look at the patterns and designs on them. And these, are all, these were all handmade in Afghanistan and had been brought across the border uh, for sale in, in Pakistan. Uh, and there was this particular single trader whose store this was. And I remember he, in the course of our discussions about uh, buying this carpet, he offered us some tea. And uh, we thought, oh, that'd be nice. So he brought in a, a tray of small <laughs> cuts, um, big jug of tea, and poured it out. Um, and then we were drinking this tea, and I, probably me, but I can't remember who was the culprit, but one of us, <gasps> bear in mind, we're sitting oh, on top no. of all these new carpets. And, oh, no. Uh, I don't know if I need to say what's coming. Anyway, I spilt my tea on the carpet I was sitting on. <laughs> and, of course, you can imagine, horror ensued, apoplexic apologies. And this guy, the trader, was, no, no, don't worry, don't worry, he said. These carpets, they're so densely woven that they will just shrug off tea. And he went and prob- <laughs> well, he promptly took the pot and poured a bit more tea on the carpet to show how to, how <gasps> how um this, how he wasn't bothered by it at all. Wow, that's a great way to diffuse your uh, personal like embarrassment. Um, embarrassment, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's great, and and I think carpet carpet manufacturers around the world will know that um, uh, you measure a, a rug by the number of threads per square inch or something like that, and these were amongst the highest density of threads. So there wasn't really any place for the tea to fall into. Um, mm. So it wasn't, it wasn't really Not damaged. absorbent. And in fact, we did end up buying a rug. And bearing in mind this is getting on for 40 years ago, that rug is sitting downstairs underneath the table in our house here in France. Is it? It is. Ah. I did not know that's where it came from. Yeah. Wow. I'll spill some more tea on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All those childhood years of being scared of spilling hot drinks on it. Yeah, it's not not right. That's. Do you remember how much that cost? Was it because my your description of a carpet shop slash rug shop is perfect? And there's one here actually near me where we we've, we've been in. They had a little, a very very. This is the most wholesome story. A little wholesome stationary pop up. Uh, in the back room so you had to walk through this like rug covered palace to get to a little stationery but lots of nice stationery anyway I was in there and it was exactly the same thing like piles and piles mm. of rugs and you got so many I didn't inquire about them so I didn't get the whole like oh what pattern would you like what mm. but you could tell there was you know loads of different types 
But um, those sorts of rugs in a shop like that in a town like this are unbelievably expensive, like a thousand pounds plus um, for anything of like a big size, basically. Is that the case then, and is that the case there? I'm I'm going to say, I mean, bearing in mind that we were sort of charity workers, um, didn't have a lot of money. I'm going to say some somewhere between 100 and 200 pounds. Um, it was it was a significant investment, um, mm. but I don't really remember. Uh, and I do think for a rug that lasts 40 years, yeah, that's a pretty good return on investment. And I believe for a handmade item, it's a it's a fantastic sort of thing to have in the house. And you know, if was one wanted to sell it, perhaps it's it is probably worth a lot more than that. Mm. Uh, of course, that is not why we bought it. But now you mention it, I'm going to go and set up a stall outside. See what <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the last thing on the patterns. Um, there are quite a lot of traditional patterns, but they they also reflect sort of the life and so some of them had got some um, representation of helicopters flying around the edge which was an indication of the fact that it had been in a state of war for so many years and continues to be in a state of war actually even now today so that that was mm. very intriguing um, that doesn't feature on our carpet I don't believe so that was interesting so we we had a, a rug to stick under our arm and bring home that's not a small thing to carry with you as well no, especially no and I seem to think there's a story behind that but I can't remember the details of it now but um, <laughs> next episode it's a <laughs> the teaser rug. <laughs> the rug episode I, I think part of it I might be making this up but I don't think I am it, part of it might have been that we were worried that the commercial value in the UK for importing a rug, I'm talking about customs now and customs duty uh, mm. coming into the airport, like you say, it might be quite high and therefore the duty might be quite high, whereas to us the value is what we paid for it. Uh, anyway, I, I, I don't believe in the end we had to pay any ta- any duty on it. Um, but one of, one of the other interesting things that Simon uh, did with us and for us was he took us... Uh, to uh, the school that he was working in had a sort of um, a retreat up in the hills and bear in mind they were up in the northwest frontier province of Pakistan which is right overlooking the foothills of the Himalayas or the Himalayas and that is where Mount Everest is and um, it was mm. we right up on top of this little hill was this kind of isolated house that was a sort of very poor uh, minimally furnished but it was like a um, a place to DOS for the night, really. There weren't many facilities. And I've got a picture of it, which won't help the listeners around the world, but um, it will give you an idea of how amazing it was. Um, Go to our Instagram. You can check out the photo there. Yeah. If I remember Ooh. to put it up. It looks like a little Scottish bothy. Yeah, but what you see behind going up above the chimney and into the sky is the Him- Himalayas. The, the, you can't really see them in the picture, but that's the mountains. I can't, yeah. <laughs> you, can imagine, you can imagine how amazing it was to, to, spend, the night there, mm. to spend the night there. Mm. And um, so on the way there, we were going to stop for a snack. I'm sure Simon won't remind me telling you this, but um, he quite reasonably was worried about traveling and food so he'd brought with him we think a sort of jam sandwich or something he had made himself um to avoid having to eat on the road but uh, we'd just come from... i hope he doesn't mind you telling us that <laughs> <laughs> well no hear what comes next <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we had just come from thailand where we'd been regularly used to eating street food which um as i think i said in a previous um podcast you know came cheap as chips and piping hot and was really good 
so anyway we stopped on the on the on the journey and bought some food from a roadside stall and on we went but unfortunately we were fine i'm not sure you even need to say what's coming next again <laughs> we were fine and Simon yeah. was very not uh, very well, not very well at all. Uh, to dramatic effect in the middle of the night in this shared dormitory. <laughs> oh chat. no! Oh gosh! Oh. So no more details needed, but uh, mm. just one of the ironies of life, really. Um, but it. Was but you're the, all eating the same thing. Well, he had avoided the street food because he didn't want to get ill. That was the irony of it, really. Um, oh. So wait, the jam sandwich <laughs> had been a problem. We don't know what the problem was, but that it wasn't Simon the street was food. The problem. It wasn't the street. It wasn't the street food. But that mm, is irony. It is, but mm. you, you know, any one of the um, it just needs one fly anywhere in the world to land on something you eat, and who knows? But anyway, uh, but it, it was just terrific to have had that chance to go and uh, see the foothills of the Himalayas and spend a, a night in that fantastic, fresh, crisp, clean air. Wonderful. One of the other things that was interesting for us was we went to um, the several Af- Afghan refugee camps in Peshawar, and I'm sure there still are today. And they're quite well established um, because if you look at the history of Afghanistan, it's, it's uh, you know, decades and decades of different people interfering in their internal affairs, really, whether it's um, Russia, the West, Pakistan, who knows, Um for all sorts of different reasons. And so there's been a regular stream of refugees coming in t- into the northern part of Pakistan. But along with that comes some of the social requirements like um, clinics and schools. And we went into one of these camps and um, I remember walking and visiting a school where uh, being really struck by the children who were learning uh, the Quran and were learning it really by rote uh, and having sort of uh, repetitive uh, sessions of repeating uh, verses from the Quran so that they would learn them and stay in their head and um, just a very sort of dramatic visual image that uh, that was so unfamiliar to us coming from mm. southeast of England originally um, recently in Midlands and having just come from Thailand very interesting sort of cultural experience what does by rote mean? Mm. it's like when in- you just learn something as it is, without sort of... Is it W-R-O-T-E? I think I it's R-O-T-E. R-O-T-E. I think it's R-O-T-E. I'm sure we'll be besieged from all our listeners telling us, but um, <laughs> uh, I believe it's R-O-T-E. And the sense in which I was using it was kind of repeating something until you know it, rather than understand, yeah. understanding it. I think I may that that's how I was using it. Correct. Well, mm-hmm. given, given the absence of our off-screen producer... Um, I'm gonna. I've I have looked it up, and it's mechanical or habitual repetition of something to be learned. So there you go. So I wasn't far mm. off. Spot spot on. Yeah, I just haven't heard that before. So mm. now you know. I feel like this is the second episode in a row where I've I've not understood a word that you've said. <laughs> understood a word you've said. Not understood uh, One, a specific word. So I'm learning. Not learning podcast. Day. I think that's that's probably um, the story for Northwest part of uh of pakistan great time sad to leave simon um mats was wearing a shalwar kameez for this time um so that she would dress appropriately and i've got a picture of that actually oh lovely lovely colors where did you get that from well we were discussing that today actually and we think that the people who i went to visit in episode 20 or whenever it was in the south of pakistan 
uh, we think they must have had it made and posted it up to Simon in the north so that she could have it mm. when we arrived there because um, mm. subsequently, um, I think the year after, uh, Mutz's parents went to visit Simon and her mother took the same shalwa kameez and wore it um, to the same Edwards College to see mm. the same Simon. So, um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, mm. but it's it's it was very... I think it's a really... Really nice. Yeah, no, it's it, yeah. it really is. She, for the podcast listeners, it's like a green, looks like maybe linen, sort of dress type thing. It's legs and a skirty thing, and then a like a sage green. A sage green, yeah, but it's very sage green. Very yes, friends, good clothing brand. Um, and then a white or off white shawl going around the head and over the shoulders and over the arms and stuff. Looks looks very nice. So we left Simon and uh, couldn't head back to England without going to see those friends in the south of Pakistan. And of course, they were lived in Sindh province, which I think I mentioned in episode 20. Are uh, they the ones that you just got on a, a bus and a donkey and exactly. didn't really know where you were going? <laughs> d- d- yeah, exactly yeah. that. And because we this time we had a bit more of a clue and they did know we were coming this time because uh, it was arranged. Um so we went we went down it was ramadan the feast of ramadan uh, which meant that um people weren't eating during the hours of daylight and um uh just as an aside this is in a completely different part of life in sudan i once took off on sudan airways from an airport during ramadan and it must have been just before dawn the takeoff and the plane flew it seemed like almost vertically up, but the most steepest climb possible to get up to cruising altitude as quickly as possible so they could get all the food. I know it must have been just at the end of the day, that's right. So they could serve food to the aeroplane before the sun went down as the plane was flying. Because you, you... Hang on. Hang on. Uh, you, mean, way you, you mean before the sun came up? That's so they right. could eat before the sun came up? I was right the first time. Huh. It was just before dawn. Yeah. And, and it was like, to get up there, dish out all the food. Oh, now we can relax. <laughs> wow. Which is amazing. Yeah. But um, there is a, there is a uh, what's the word, a contingency, an exception allowed for travelling, I do believe, although I'm not a, a Muslim expert. But some people still do want to stick to the um, guidelines of, of eating only, not during daylight hours, in other words. So mm. uh, when we were travelling on the bus, I remember the bus uh, stopped so that people could eat. Um, and that again must have been just as night fell when when darkness fell the bus stopped to give people a chance to get their food out and have a quick snack before we went on but we arrived um mm. to this this couple chris and joe's place and um i think i described last time they were living in a very sort of rural area very very one of the poorest places i think i can remember visiting um and of course that's been in the news recently as well the sindh province was very very badly flooded um, at the end of, of last uh-huh. year, as, as was, I think, something like 70% of Pakistan. I mean, a huge amount of that country was flooded in exceptional rainfall last year. And so when I was thinking about this, describing it, I gosh, gosh, that's two places that we were there all that time ago that have actually been in the international news um, just recently. But Joe and Chris had a sort of mission to this local community to try and help them develop their um the the way well their their potential really i suppose because 
just sometimes you need a little bit of help from somewhere else to get going and they were there for a number of years and um uh one of the things so they had a little tree planting program i think and uh the thing that really sticks in my mind was that we had a a little church service uh, whilst we were with them and it was just um on the sand on the ground there was no building under a tree i think probably um maybe 10 to 15 people uh who were just in the area and this of course is a christian church service in a country that's predominantly muslim um and they had an offering and this is a thing that really struck my mind because when you know if in a an anglican church in the south of england you might pass a, a bag around and people put their 20 p's in or their 50 p's or their their five pound notes or whatever they have in their pocket but um here, people put on a little um, thing that's passed around, uh, a measure of flour or um, a cup of beans or just something of what they had as as an offering. And, and uh, it really struck me. And I've got a picture of that as well, just to try not to shuffle this too much with the microphone. Mm. Mm. Looks like a little meze, meze platter. Mm. <laughs> Is it mostly food stuff? I think it was all food Dream. stuff, yeah, um, mm. because they didn't really have anything else. It was like a subsistence level living, really. Um, and it just was very thought-provoking, you know, when you give to something, whatever that thing is, out of plenty, that's quite easy, you know, doesn't really notice very much. But if you give to something out of need, that is really... That's really thought-provoking, and that, uh, that has often always has stayed with me. It was a terrific trip to Pakistan, uh, and I, what we were talking about, Mats and I, today, was trying to remember. I mean, this was a massive experience for us both, the whole Thailand thing for six months, being separated for part of that, her coming out, all the dramas I've talked about in the past in Thailand, being in an insecure area stopping off in Pakistan, meeting Simon, going to these people um, and developing this world view that probably, you know, might never have happened if if we hadn't have, if we'd bought that Mercedes in episode one, <laughs> that, 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 that was the life, the, the sliding doors moment, might never have happened. Um, and what we were trying to remember was how we slid back into some sort of normal life in in the midlands <laughs> when we got back can't quite remember that um but i'm sure it kind of been kind of been that easy um but what i do remember is and this is the punchline uh when we took off from karachi to <laughs> to um to get returned to london uh another mid-air drama would you believe we Ooh. took took oh. off and um got up to cruising altitude we were we were well into the flight. I mean, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, I just think. Suddenly, there was this almighty roar that you really don't want to hear on any aeroplane you're travelling on. And, and it was a lion. <laughs> everyone went, what is that? Number one question. Number two, what's it going to end up with? How's it going to, pan, how's it going to play out? Because that is definitely not a normal sound in an aircraft. And um, it, I don't think it was for very long and it went it went and we were all sort of sitting there thinking is that going to happen again has something fallen off anyway then the captain came on very cool as like but a long time after it had happened probably <laughs> a minute, probably a minute and a half but anyway a long time after it happened, said um 
Oh yeah, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, sorry if there was a bit of concern about the noise back there. He said um, our our wheels got a bit hot on takeoff, so I just dropped the undercarriage down to cool them off. Uh, but everything's fine. It's cool as a cucumber now, and we'll be landing. We'll be travelling as normal to London. What? So he'd lowered the undercarriage up at cruising altitude. Now I don't think that's normal from everything I've learned. It's yeah. definitely not normal. I mean, I'm and not I was, a pilot. He pressed the but... wrong button. And I, I was thinking. Uh, they must have been jolly hot or something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So surely, surely lowering them at cruising altitude has many more risks than the fact... Like, they'd cool down anyway because you're up high. <laughs> I thought you said you're up high. You're up high. <laughs> because you're up high, they'll cool down. Pies always cool down. This is a debate of the ignorant, I think, but I, I would agree with you. Um, I mean, I think it's very shocking and, and a complaint should be made if it wasn't 40 years ago. But, um, well, look, anyway. if you're a pilot and you're listening... Let us know. Please write in. <laughs> but as someone that has not flown much in their life and doesn't really like it when they do, I would say that seems unusual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, spoiler alert, we got back safely. So there you go. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert, you made it. Maybe the rule was a lion and he had to get the lion out, so he opened the undercarriage to let the lion out. Maybe that's why. Or the lion was in the hold but they weren't expecting it to roar and he had to come on and just make up a reason why, why there was an almighty roaring sound that wasn't, we've got a lion mm. in the hold. What, what I do know is that pilots are trained to keep passengers calm at all times, whatever's going on in the cockpit kind of thing, because the worst, the worst mm. thing of all is getting people sort of nervous. There's no point panicking um, when you can't do anything. Wise words. I know, I, I don't listen to myself. No, it's what I say every podcast. No point in panicking. <laughs> if you can't do anything. In fact, there's probably just no point panicking anyway. Because if you can do no, something... No, I think you sometimes should... panic is when useful. When is panic I think useful? Our, flight, our fight or flight response has helped humans stay alive for, for millennia. But, the, but panic sits in between the two. Because fight or flight are two choices. I think the panic is which... It's deciding between the two. Interesting debate. Hmm. My instinct was to say that panic is flight because you're running away going... Bah! panicking but panic could also be a, a punch in the face because you panicked ah punch but, but isn't i mean isn't that fight? <laughs> well all i can say is if you do the flight mode watch out for the undercarriage that's what i say <laughs> <laughs> but no but i am interested if anyone can think of a reason when panicking is useful and listen i'm not saying that i don't panic because i, I think we all panic but i'm just but i just hmm. i don't think it is useful it's a little bit like worrying isn't it it's it's, it's like saying don't worry to somebody uh, because it might never happen well that's all true but i think if you're worried you're worried you can't really not be that's the problem hmm. Hmm. Anyway, so that's my little slice of life in Pakistan for episode 22. And uh, I guess there'll be ever more interesting stories in episodes that are coming. <laughs> Hooray! Hooray! I always say that. You, you've got to stick around because something might interesting might eventually happen. You never know. So. Spoiler alert, <laughs> <Yeah>. it does. <laughs> it does, every episode. Did I mention uh-huh. I had breakfast with the American president? Oh. Whoa! Whoa. Little teaser trailer. It's funny how in the past that is a very impressive thing to say, whereas now it's like, ugh, why did you have breakfast with the American? Well, less so now, but you it know. It was Obama, and I think that counts for something. So. That is uh, a story to tell, for sure. Coming in the future episodes. Anyone got any useful tidbits that they learnt this week that they want to share with the world? I, um, I, well, since you asked the question, um, 
I hosted this little 15 minute session on climate change yesterday and in, prepare, in preparing for that I discovered that, um, well two amazing things, uh, two thirds of carbon emissions come from activities that we can change as individuals, so in other words we can do something. And what, what what is what the data two for two thirds? Yeah, it was a it was a not and not as individuals surely as as human beings or something. No, as like. things that we do in our home, the way we live our lives. I mean, so I mean that would include things like flying, which you might argue is is kind of not an individual thing, but but um, it was a big study uh, that I'd have to check. But I think it was Leeds University did it. Um, I think that feels that feels like that's potentially misleading because I think I think that that I wonder if that is saying you as an individual could grow your own veg, just eat that veg, not drive a car, not not travel anywhere, you know, which would amount for lots of emissions cut. But takes but, all the pressure off companies from doing things in a better way. Yeah, and and isn't sort of realistic in in our our society. And what we need to do is find what big companies need to do is find ways to make it as easy as possible for everyone to make the greenest choices yeah, that, I mean, instead of it being on the individual to be like, I'll do it. The, the conclusions were exactly that, that there were six shifts that need to happen and one of them was change the system, which is governments and companies um, sort of making decisions like alternative living very much easier and you know financially beneficial rather than, than the reverse. But, I mean, things like... Um, eating eating green was was one of the very first ones which was to get as close as possible to a plant-based diet um and not beat yourself up if you don't but to get as close as possible to and not and to eat everything you buy that was the second quick thing um because so much gets thrown away which interestingly which i didn't know creates much more methane if it gets thrown away than if Mm. you eat it so depends who you are (laughs) i create quite a lot of (laughs) methane when i eat food waste food waste is a problem but I, I was having a stupid dilemma yesterday where I bought um, a falafel wrap, one of my fave meals. Uh, mm. It was absolutely... I had a falafel wrap yesterday. <gasps> oh, snap. Sorry. It was absolutely ginormous. Um, cost £4.80. It was genius. I loved it. <gasps> Except that I got sort of two-thirds of the way through um, and was, was really full. Well, no, probably a bit more than two-thirds. Anyway, the point was, it wasn't really enough to save because it wasn't worth saving for later. And I couldn't bring myself to throw it away because I just thought, this feels so ridiculous because mm. it's very tasty food that I like that is, you know, that I paid for, but it seems like such a waste to throw it. So I just basically absolutely <laughs> overstuffed myself by making sure I oh, finished no. this thing because yeah. I was like, I can't bear the thought of it just being food waste <laughs> for no reason. But you see, so this is a really good example maybe of where on a sm- much on a very silly scale, but it's maybe a good metaphor of like it's on the company to provide you with the right size portion that isn't mm. going to overfill you and isn't mm. going to cause you to then waste the food. Because really, it's their fault for giving you yeah. too much food that's more than a human's worth. I mean, it's not your fault that you can't eat the rest of your wrap. <laughs> um, although you did. And you although were I did, for and, that. I, and I would say I felt uncomfortably full for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's me pretty much every day. I I just can't. 
I don't know why. I just once I start eating some savoury food, I can't stop myself until it's all gone. I know, and then I'm really unhappy. I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> I can't leave something in this. Yeah, but um, no. the, the the ultimate conclusion of this um, resource that I used for, to to base the session on was that we should all talk about it more. So this is, I mean, this is a handy discussion because they're saying if you if we weave this conversation into everything we do, you know, with people, different groups of people. It, it's already shifting people's awareness and people's response, but it obviously needs to happen quicker and more. But weaving it into our daily conversations, our podcasts are, um, you know, is, is a good thing. So mm. definitely, mm. it's one yes. of those things that I definitely care a lot about, but I'm not very good at talking about. So no, I mean, they said excellent. They said um, they said interestingly enough that eighty percent of people are worried about it and are willing to do something and have done something already. But what stops them doing more is A, they don't think it'll make any difference and B, they think the company's big boys should change first. So it's kind of both and. That's what the research was throwing mm. I found it very, very sort of interesting, really, and very energising. Excellent. Well, well, let's weave it into all of our conversations, <laughs> henceforth and forthwith. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Forevermore until death. <laughs> well, it feels like a nice place to wrap up for episode 22 like a little falafel as always follow us on the socials at the podclarks on everything you can imagine and if you even the to. ones you can't and in that case i'm guessing it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me i'm guessing it's goodbye from me as well Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.